Welcome, friends, to Game Master's Studio, where we talk shop about running tabletop role-playing games. With us today is Jared and Ed, with your host, Jerry. Hello, and welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks that you can use to help bring your game at home up to the next level. Today, we're going to be talking about how to run a political game and what to do to make your players realize that swords and magic aren't the only options for solving problems. In the studio today, my name is Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden, host and moderator for the show. With me is Jared, a.k.a. DMF, proprietor of Mad Doc Designs, creator of the World of Wrath and semi-professional DM, and Ed. In the game of life, you either live or you die. And if you live, you die anyway. The game of life. So today we are talking the political side of the games, just not only for running political campaigns, but also just for injecting political scenes or sequences into a game that may need a little bit of flavor or variety. Um, talking about politics, the number one tip every one of us came up with everything at the top of the list says preparation. Politics is all about planning. It's about knowing who wants what, what they'll do to get it, what capabilities they have, what they know. It's all about planning, 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 planning. Yeah, if you've ever watched a good political show or movie or read a good political book or, you know, been in a game or run a game that's a good political game, then you know that all pretty much all of the situations and encounters and NPCs and whatnot, they're all very well defined. They all already have stuff going on. They already have a network of whatnots, already have a certain number of resources and contacts and, and all kinds of things. They have their own agenda, all of that. So it does come down to a lot of preparation. Like, what's the thing your country's going through? Then what's the thing your region's going through? What, you know, different monsters or, or, or villains are in the area that are a threat, whether or not they are the main threat? You know, what... Who are the different political players? What's their agenda? What can they do for you? What do they want you to do for them? Uh, so we're going to break down a lot of that stuff. But that's, I mean, really, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of preparation. Most of it's an NPC building, I think. But you got to know what's going on in the world and then build and flesh out a bunch of NPCs. So when the players encounter them, you already know exactly what they want and can get right into it. Some of my uh, early games in Vampire ran for quite a while and the storyteller that ran those games definitely said that to start off the first thing that he did and he said anyone should do if they're running vampire is sit down and figure out everyone who's of any importance in the city what do they want and how they're going to get it and i've tried running games specifically vampire but also other games with a political bent and where i've kind of followed that guidance and i've started out with the first thing i do is i make a list of the players other the players being like the people who have influence in the region yeah. or whatever figure that out figure all that out run so much smoother than like oh well it's just a game i do games all the time i can just wing it and we'll be good to go yeah we may even want to backtrack a little bit if you're going to be running a political style game and we don't necessarily mean like a drama or, or whatnot that has politics involved, like you're a politician. We mean literally you're sort of controlling events that are going on around you. You're involved in that sort of thing. Um, one thing you might want to consider is a system 
like White Wolf or Vampire of the Masquerade that is really built for that sort of thing. You know, it's not really supposed to be a combat system. Yes, they have combat skills, but when you get down to the nitty gritty, everyone has seven hit points. So that's really not a combat system. Well, also, if you take a comparison, because I've done this to uh, to show people some of the differences. If you look at this at the attributes that people get when they set up in Dungeons and Dragons, you have three physical attributes, two mental attributes and one social attribute. Right. In the White Wolf system, you have three physical attributes, three social attributes, three mental attributes. Physical, mental, and social are all equally important. Right. Um, even though there's a lot of people who will say, you know, for Dungeons and Dragons, charisma is the stat you use if you need to break the system. You know, that's how you can cause everything to work. In the game as it's built, charisma is just, it's your catch-all for social. Where you get into these other systems that break it down further, it means there's a little more influence, a little more focus placed on the social. And it means that system's going to be a little bit better for portraying a good political game. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean you can't run a political game in any system, but there are some out there that are more attuned for it. So that might be something is to just find one of those systems and, uh, uh, and, and just try to run a game in that system and see how things work. Um, so we also wanted to give a few examples of politics in the media. Um, so some just political bent. Um, it's mostly television shows that we that we have noted for us just to give some examples to see what we're thinking about. Um, things like Game of Thrones on HBO or House of Cards from Netflix. Uh, Netflix. Uh, Deadwood is another HBO series that has a lot of political and was I specifically jumped that out for showing the uh, enemy of my enemy yep. type where people are making decisions not necessarily based on what they want, but on what they don't want. Right. Um, the wire and the shield are both police dramas that show, uh, different factions being yep. you know, law enforcement and different gangs. Um, yep. and of course the mass effect series, which led to a huge tangent in the free show. It did. Um, and really all of the games made by Bioware have a lot of political or quite a few of them structure. Yes. Yeah. Going back to KOTOR, Dragon Age, all of the, uh, mass effect games. I think before that, I think they did, uh, one of the Baldur's Gate games, at least, or maybe more of them. I think some of the programmers may have been connected, but yeah, I, yeah. Feel, I feel like that's right. But, you know, all those games, they have choices. And one of the big things about doing a political game is having the players have to sort of make certain choices. You're probably going to have them do that anyway. But in political games, it's really fun uh, and important to do choices that maybe not all of the choices are clearly good versus clearly bad. Um, you know, there's examples. The first Mass Effect game, your character goes on Vermeer, and all of a sudden, in the middle of all the action, you got to go save one of your allies. There's no real right or wrong there, even though the internet doesn't really like Ashley Williams much. There's really no right or wrong there. And the latest Mass Effect game, Andromeda, one of the first choices you have to make is whether or not your um, uh, when you set up your colony, when you finally are able to set up a first colony, whether it's going to be science based or military based. Because that's going to have an impact on how others in the galaxy view you and the kind of resources you're going to get. And of course, which way, no matter which way you do, it's going to bite you in the butt. You know that playing Mass Effect. But those are the kinds of uh, choices as a GM that you want to present to your characters. And and I think really to put it into perspective, in a lot of these like traditional high adventure games, mm-hmm. it's the choice of do we slay the dragon or not. And if we do slay it, we have a dead dragon get access to its horde. And if we don't slay it, we have a dragon rampaging across the countryside. 
Right. That's a pretty easy choice to make. And politics is there to give you hard choices where you don't have the good answer, the good answer. Exactly. Less of the choices that you make are as clear cut. I mean, some of them might be a little bit more obvious than others. You know, you might you might do after your fifth or sixth dealing with, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the queen or whatever, you realize, God, this, she is an evil bitch. You know, I'm sort of tired of being on her side. So I'm going to, any quest that comes up that helps her, I'm going to go against that, you know, but that takes time to develop. And that's actually part of what a political game is going to do is you have to develop your relationship with these characters. Cause when you first meet them again, you don't know, they might be the good guy or the bad guy, or they're just neutral and they need you to do something for them. And it's also those those NPCs you have to think about, you have to flesh them out, you have to develop them. They're all going to have things that they want. They're going to have means to get it done. They're going to have uh, opinions on other factions and what to do there. You know, in your example there where you didn't like the queen, maybe you instead go to the duke who's saying that the queen is not fit to rule anymore. And you say, hey, I have power. I have influence. You know that. How can I help you? Mm-hmm. Because I know yours going to stand against her. I also think that the concept of you know yeah again I I agree with Ed where most decisions should be difficult. You know you're kind of looking at one gray area compared to another gray area, or this seems like a good idea, but I see the consequences, and I see this, this seems like a good idea, but I see the consequences. I also think a nice thing that you can do is whenever it does seem like an easier choice. To then still screw with you. Yeah. Like, you know, when it's like, okay. Convoluted even more. Right, exactly. It's like, okay, well, my choices are save the goblins or save the puppies. And you're like, duh, I'm going to save the puppies. And you're like, oh, I saved the puppies. And they're all werewolves and decided to grow up and eat the town. (laughs) (laughs) Seemed like an easy choice. Seemed like one of the easy cut and dry decisions. But then it still backfired and bit you in the face. I would be careful about. (laughs) I wouldn't do that all the time. But I think once in a while, I think that would be a nice little like screw you kind of thing. Just because I think political games should be stressful. I think that, you know. You know, every you need to everyone should be debating every decision yeah. and trying to get as much in uh, another. I just think another big facet of political games is information gathering. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important part of like you're not just going around and trying to do social interactions with people, but you're trying to get gather as much information about every situation as possible. So that way, when you have these evil, these evil, these easy decisions, you're like, wait, obviously, I don't have all the facts. Well, right. I mean, you shouldn't as a, as a GM, you shouldn't shy away from sometimes giving your your players a win. Mm-hmm. You, know, oh, some, yeah. you yeah. know, there should sometimes be an easy decision to make. Yeah, this is a game, so you do need the smattering of obvious choices so that they feel you know, they they feel like they get that win, and then you know yeah. go back to the unless would, unless you're going for a specific atmosphere of we are standing against the apocalypse, we are not going to stop it. The best we can do is slow it down and mitigate it. Yeah, a good example would be Game of Thrones. You know the bad things are coming, and their people are want to go stop those bad things, but there's all kinds of bullshit that that's happening before that ever goes through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously like within the political genre, there is different sub genres, you know, like how horrific you want it to be or how, you know, playful it could, could still be. Yeah. Um, I just think how, like if I were going to go for the political game, I would start off with, you know, making the choice. I would, I would have it escalate, you know, it'd be, yeah, Fairly, you know, the, the choices seem simple, but then they're getting more and more difficult. And it kind of comes down to the point where, like, 
you're going to realize quickly that you need to be gathering more and more information for any one given decision. No matter how simple, you know, like I want you to realize that no matter how simple the decision seems, you need to make sure you have all the facts because you never know what's going on. Again, puppies versus goblins seems like a gimme. But when you realize that they're like the puppies of werewolves. Yeah, they're all going to grow up to be hellhounds. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we needed your opinion for dinner tonight. Should the rolls be white rolls or wheat rolls? Gather my intelligence council at once. <laughs> now, Jared, in the pre-show, you actually mentioned as we we're jotting some notes down, going along with this, the idea of truth versus perception. Right. Yeah. So that's an important thing to, to keep in mind when you're giving information to your players is all the information should be coming from somewhere or someone in the game. So you're, you're, the information should be coming from M, like typically your, your NPCs. So they're going to be gather, gathering 90 nine 98% of their information, depending on whether there's magic in the game or not, could be, you know, filling in the other gap, I would say, you know, or reading a book, God forbid. <laughs> right. Um, but like a lot of the information is going to be from talking to other NPCs. So you need to understand what information that NPC actually has and where that information came from and whether the NPC actually has all the facts themselves, whether, or whether they only have part of the information, but it really comes down to, are they going to share the truth? Are they going to, you know, about what they know? Are they going to, do they not know the whole, you know, situation? Do they not know all the facts? You know, they're going to only be able to share their perception or their interpretation of the knowledge that they have with the player. So if you go to the cook and say, well, what's the king plan? And the cook's going to go, well, for tonight we have steak and chicken. I don't know anything that's going on with the king, but then you can go to the king's advisor and, okay, well, what are the king's real plans? Steak well, and tuna. He's told me his plans are X, but in reality, you don't know. He doesn't know this. You don't know this, but the king's plans are actually Y. He hasn't shared those plans with his advisor. Right. So you just have to make sure that you're keeping your information. Uh, you know, you're sharing your information correctly. And that's one of those things where, again, when you're planning out the game, when you're pl- sitting down and you're writing out all the names of your NPCs, you need to write down what you know, kind of power they have, what kind of influence they have, who they know, what they know. Is it true? Isn't it true? Is it a rumor? Is it fact? You know, is it hearsay? Is it just make believe? You know, it could be anything. And it's, I think it's also important to uh, because of the source of where it comes from, you know, how does the NPC feel about it? Um, if you're doing an insight check or if you're using detect lies and they're telling you what they believe to be the truth, it would not trigger as a falsehood. Even if it's completely incorrect, completely bogus information, mm-hmm. they're not lying because it's the truth as they know it. Right. They are not omnipotent and know the fact is actually this. They're telling you what they have. Or maybe they're telling you the truth to set you up. A really good example of that is Game of Thrones season one, Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. He thought, you know, he was Ned's buddy through the whole thing. And then at the end, he grabbed him around the throat with a knife. Told you not to trust me, bro. Yep. I was going to say another interesting little quirk that you could get. You could get kind of convoluted in this, and it's up to you how much you want to use it. Jerry's shrugging at me. Yes, it was obvious that Littlefinger wasn't a great guy. I haven't watched Game of Thrones. That's what it was. It was just like, yeah, it means well, what the hell is wrong with you? No spoiler alert there. If you haven't seen Game of Thrones season one yet, shame on you. Um, but yeah, Sorry, so again, this could get kind of convoluted and I wouldn't use this a lot, but the NPC that you're talking to might know 
a falsehood or might not know all the facts and be lying on top of that. Right. So that's another interesting. Oh, so the, you go to the, the, the right hand of the King, the King hasn't told the right hand of the, you know, of, of his right hand, all the facts, what his true plans are. He's only shared X with him. Right. So he only knows X, but then he still chooses to then turn around and tell you, you know, Z instead of X. Right. So he, he doesn't even know the facts, but then he's lying to you on top of that. So then, yes, you're going to, you know, we see you get some successful insight checks or your social skills. You figure out they're lying to you. And then you finally shake the quote unquote truth out of him. He's still the truth as he knows it. Or, or an interesting thing. This is where I was saying you could get convoluted is he could lie and accidentally tell you the truth, but he thinks he's lying. (laughs) Right. That's yeah. I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, that, yeah. That's why. That's why I was saying it could get kind of convoluted. Like, I think the king actually intends to be peaceful. He told me he intends to be peaceful. I'm gonna tell you that he actually intends war, which is what the king actually intends, but had lied to the advisor, telling yeah. him he wanted peace. Think of it like this: There's a philosophical outlook that suggests that no person ever truly knows what another person is thinking. You might be best friends with someone or lovers with someone for 50 plus years. You don't really know what's in their head. It's just the perception of what they've, or of what you believe they know based on, you know, uh, their interactions with you. So you might be 100% confident that this person will never lie to you. And then they do, mm-hmm. or maybe they never do. You know, you don't know until it's over really. Um, and that's sort of the, the way to think about it. It's like, yeah, the king's going to have his trust, you know, his trusted advisors, people he talks to, but maybe there's something he's just not telling anyone. Yeah. And, you know, and I think trust there is important as well, because the person who has been honest with your players for the past six, seven sessions, and they stopped using detect lies and they stopped trying to make the insight checks. This is the person who's in prime situation to set them up with a lie exactly because when it comes from somebody they don't expect to be lying from them it's so much easier for them to swallow exactly so going back to little finger in season one he had you may not have been making this point that's exactly what he did he kept telling ned stark the truth kept doing it over and over and over he told him nothing but the truth and then finally ned stark just trusted him and took his word on everything and that's when he set him up for failure um but I was also bringing that up for something else that we had talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the insight roles. Oh yeah. Um, because there's going to be a lot of roles. There's going to be a lot of social roles. Well, or there could be, there could be, you're right. Cause one of our other lines here is keep roles to a minimum, but there's going to be a lot of interaction and a lot of that interaction. There may be roles involved. And one of the roles that's going to be happening a lot is the insight check, right? That's, in D&D terms. Do I believe what this person's saying? Do I trust what they're saying? Right. You know, do they seem shady to me? Are they lying to me? Do they think they're lying to me? Um, rather than throwing out those insight checks all the time. As a GM, I make my players ask, do I think he's telling the truth? Right. Or actually usually comes out along. Is this guy lying to us? Um, and that's when they get to make that role or I make the role for them, mm-hmm. depending on the group. Sometimes we can go either way um, so that they get that role and you think he's on the level or you right. think he's being dishonest or sometimes he's hiding something. Which is a nice it's a nice middle ground. So they know that he's not being fully forthcoming, but it's not a blatant lie either. Right. Um, and sometimes they're hiding something that's very 
um, valuable and sometimes they're hiding something that's not so important. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a real clear, just, uh, or sorry, that's a real important distinction is if someone rolls an insight, you know, it's real important to tell them whether or not they actually think this person is lying to them or if they think they're just hiding something because that, that convolutes things even more. Now your players think, okay, well I know he's hiding something. Is he lying to me about this or is there something more that he's just not telling me? But obviously they've already rolled and the answer you gave them was they're hiding something. So now they have to think about that. And it could be um, because this is just the example of, I tell you that there's going to be, I tell the party there's going to be an assassination on the Duke of Fortmont tonight. And they do the insight check while he's hiding something. And now they grill and put it and he just doesn't want to reveal it and all that. And it ultimately turns out, what was he hiding? He found out about the assassination and now his wife has been kidnapped. All you have to do is not interfere and she'll be back safely in a few days. Right. And he doesn't want them to know because he doesn't want to endanger his wife. But he also can't act directly to help them and can't tell them why without putting her in danger. So he wants the party to go off and foil the assassination because he doesn't want want the Duke of Fortmont dead. But he also doesn't want anything to happen to his wife, which he loves very dearly and doesn't want to get involved in this. Exactly. That's a case where he's hiding something, but it's not a malicious. It's not anything that like is going to screw the party over. Right. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because I was thinking uh, along a similar lines, but like yours is even still connected to the situation at hand. But um, I was thinking kind of like the concept of trying to get poker tells off someone at the table where just because someone's excited doesn't mean they're necessarily excited about their hand. Right. You know what I mean? So the concept of like, okay, I'm going to get an insight check. I, you know, I'm getting some weird reads off this guy. You know, he seems kind of antsy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it could turn out that the reason that he seems antsy is you caught him as he's coming out a door, but he's not actually coming out the door to his house. He's coming out the door to his mistress's house who he's having an affair with. Right. And you don't want to catch him in the, you know, this, this uh, situation with him having an affair when you're really, you're there about this assassination plot. Yeah. So it's got, it's about context. Just like, you know, the concept in poker, we're like, Oh, well this guy just got a text message saying he's going to get laid later tonight. So he's super excited, but <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that he's got, you know, pocket twos in his hand. Right. Right. <laughs> So, you know, like, but you got to make sure that if you're going to do those kind of like slight misleads that you're making sure you're, you're correctly describing the whole situation, you're giving as much facts as possible so they can maybe try to figure out that, okay, well, he's not antsy because of something suspicious that he's doing that has to do with what I'm investigating with this assassination plot so much as, oh, I realized that this isn't his house. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's always, that's always an option. Uh, you could give the the player characters a little bit more insight as to what's going on or have them worry about the fact that this guy's antsy and give yeah, them feel free yeah. to mislead them. Yeah. Uh, an, another thing that we'd mention too, cause we're talking about social roles a lot. Now uh, a lot of players are going to want to roll. Okay. Well, I want to get information from this guy. So I'm going to roll investigate or I want to convince him of my side. So I want to roll diplomacy or persuasion or whatnot. Um, in a, in a political style game, you really do want a lot of role playing to go on. And when I say role playing, I mean, R O L E you want them to be playing their character, asking the questions, talking to the, trying to convince the person, you know, whatever. So one thing that we would mentioned uh, when it comes to rolling, actually a few things, one was the idea of maybe one role per scene. Like, okay, if you're trying to persuade someone, 
you role play it out. And at the end of the scene, you roll your persuade your persuasion. And then when they give you your answer, you can roll your insight to see what, what you think of their answer, yeah. you know? And we did, we did also cover this quite a bit in our role playing versus role playing episode, uh, which you can go listen to for a little more detail on this specific topic, but you know, continue on, on the broad yeah. spectrum of it. Yeah. So the, the basic idea there is that you are, you are encouraging more role playing because in a political game, that's really what it's about. If you're having like two or three fights, every political game, it's not a political game. It's a, it's a combat game with a with some political background. Now, if you're just looking to add politics into your already ongoing game, that's one thing. But if you actually want to run a more politically based game, then that's, then, uh, then that's sort of what we're looking at here where I say, like the social roles, maybe only have the one role per sort of social scene. Um, that way it sort of covers what your character might have said or done that you as a player couldn't say or do, uh, you know, that you just wouldn't have thought of because you're not that character, you know, uh, in, in that situation, in that world. Also, an, an interesting concept to think of is maybe in some of these cases, when it comes to social roles and insight roles, don't let the players actually roll. Have that be a role that the DM does and you do it behind your screen or your hand. And then you give them answer based on the roles. And they, that way, you know, cause when you, when you roll an 18 on something, you're pretty sure you succeed, you know, I got a natural 18. I got a plus six. Yeah, oh yeah. I nailed that one, you know, but if you roll behind your hand and then give them an answer, they have no idea whether they succeeded or failed. They just know the information that you give them. Yeah. I mean, the other problem too, is if they roll really high, but they still fail, they're going to go on the assumption that they succeeded. Yeah. So, I mean, like you're they're they're making false assumptions that it, actually it can, it can mislead the, the whole you know scenario where they really shouldn't well, know at all. And that's actually funny. You bring that up because another one of our notes was failed roles versus success with no real result. Right. So maybe you, maybe you roll a two and I say, you don't find the thing. So you're like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to search some more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you cause, cause you saw that you rolled a two, maybe you roll an 18 and I say, you don't find the thing. You know, do you say you're going to search some more or are you just confident that the thing you're looking for isn't there? Yeah. So either way, they're looking for the the evidence that shows that the evil queen is up to no good and they're in her chambers looking for it. You roll their investigation role and say, you don't find it here. Now they have no idea whether or not they just didn't find it or it's just not here. You know, and I think that that for for a real sort of in-depth political style game, I think that actually could be a benefit because uh, it it's to you, you know, that you can use because it doesn't, they don't know metagame whether or not they've succeeded or failed. All right. they know is what you're telling their character. Yeah. I would use that same trick in like a mystery game as well. Yes. Yeah, or exactly. a mystery or something like that. And I, I actually think you've, you've also got options there for an insight. Because a player could ask, let's say they ask a question, they get an honest answer and they fail their insight check. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they should immediately assume that the answer is dishonest. Right. They can roll a two and you'll be like, well, you think he's telling the truth and he actually is where if you have the PC roll their own. Oh, I rolled a two with my modifiers. That's a five. Well, you think he's telling the truth. Okay, I rolled really low. The DM said he's telling the truth, which means he's clearly not. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And that can wind up getting into that just a bad cycle of screwing yeah. themselves over. A lot of that's going to determine on your players. You know, you know, if you got good role players out there, then they're probably not really going to care about the die. They're going to roll it, tell you what you got, and then ask for your, you know, what your for your interpretation of what happens, and then just go along with that. But you're going to have the people who look at the number and do the math, and that's what they're going to base the their next steps off of. Not well, my character knows this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 like one of those things where actually just the other day I had I was playing. A, this isn't political at all, but I was playing and my character and his group went up against uh, uh, an Earth Elemental. Of course, I as a GM know exactly how to defeat an Earth Elemental, but my character had no idea. Didn't have Arcana, none of that. So I just went up and hacked at it with my axe, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then when someone failed their Arcana, you know, they just didn't. They're just like, OK, I got no idea. You know, and it didn't it didn't happen until uh, someone actually succeeded on it that, oh, thunder damage will do more damage to it. And they went and cast thunder wave. And now we all knew what we were doing. You know, it's sort of the same thing in a political thing. You know, I'd say definitely if you throw combat into the mix, which you probably will, um, the uh, obviously let them roll those rolls. You know, don't don't hide those rolls. Don't take those away from them. Let action and combat be its own thing. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty and the politics and the. Um, um, those social roles, it might benefit you to hide those to the GM roles. And you just give the answer based off of um, the role that you see. And then, and then that way the, the players have to sort of navigate through that. Um, and another thing that we wanted to touch on for roles, because it's not, it doesn't always come up in games. It's like a special side case where sometimes in social roles, uh, I feel like it should be used a lot more. And that's the contested role where, oh, yeah, yeah. where you're trying to do something. Someone else is trying to oppose. So you roll to see who does better. Um, and you're both doing diplomacy to try to convince the king that your plan is the proper term. You are doing deception versus an opposing insight check to see if you can pull the wool over their eyes. These are good cases, too, where somebody could roll a 17 and be confident that they did it, but they're up against somebody who's been doing this for years and years and right. has the experience and has the expertise in that skill. And they're doubling their bonuses and all that. And a 17 just doesn't cut it in this arena. Right. They're going to, they're going to beat that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, it's important to note that the insight check is typically an opposed role. Right. You know, at least if, especially if they're lying, you know, if they're just telling the truth, then there, there's no role for the, uh, the NPC or whoever's telling the truth per se. You know, Although you, you, can, I, you can set that you can make a roll or just set the DC for the insight check as a DM. I would think that I would roll there. And regardless of what the result is, you know, it'd be, it'd be like rolling a blank die, but that way it doesn't give away the fact that I'm not rolling anything. Oh yeah. I'm not, Yeah. I'll, yeah. For subterfuge for your players. Yeah, yeah. I would still make a die roll, but I mean, mechanically there doesn't need to be a die roll there, but you know, like if they're bluffing or, you know, try to deceive you, then there's definitely an opposed die roll yeah. with the, the insight. Yeah, and that's one of those uh, sort of what Jerry's suggesting. That's one of those scenarios where, okay, so if you were to mechanically build this person, they might be like a level one fighter. Like they don't really, you know, mechanically in a fight, they're not very good. But this is the person who's been the right hand of the king for 20 years. Okay, he doesn't do shit in combat, but this person knows how to politic. So you might you might just want to boost difficulties or just give them uh they, arcane or profane bonuses to 
you know, various skills just or just advantage. They have, they have the observant feet. They have the alert feet. They have, you know. I was going to say, like, if you're doing like D&D 5th edition, I might even make up my own hypothetical NPC only class of politician. Yep. You know, like he's a level nine politician. The Star yep. Wars uh, D20 system had a noble sure class. Did. Yep. Um, or like, I don't really combat, but I've been dealing with politics my whole life. And while I'm not a king, I have an advisor to the king. I'm a ninth level politician. I know how to, yeah. to do this stuff. I'm good at social interactions. I'm good at making negotiations, interrogating people. Even the slightly older versions of uh, of of D and D had the uh, aristocrat, which was sort of that way. Yep. They they were. Uh, I mean, they were a little bit more playable than some of the other NPC classes. But yeah, I mean, why can't you have you know a high level? Essentially, or essentially high level, like he's not very high level in these certain things, like hit points or armor. Or yeah, I would like say, like you know, like even though no PC class in Fifth Ed has a D four for hit points, politician does. They use a D four, yeah. maybe even a D four minus one, depending. You know, like yeah. without it plus, then adding charisma. I mean, I'm sorry, Constitution. Yeah, you know, so they're gonna have really or use a D three or whatever you want. Like maybe they only have one hit point per level automatically. Like okay, I'm only a ninth, I'm a ninth level politician. I'm awesome at you know making you know uh, negotiating treaties, but I only have nine freaking hit points. I do not fight. <laughs> you know, but it prevents that, it prevents the royal car, court from taking over being taken over the first time a fifth level bard walks in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. You know, like they have high social skills. Maybe they get certain feats for free. I mean, it's a, you could actually make it up as a class that you want to use or you can just kind of use it as a, a guideline or something to fudge from, yeah. you know, but however you want to do it. And really the thing to think of while you're building these NPCs is how pol- how savvy are they? How political are they? How how good at the game are they? Yeah, well, the important stat, most important stat I would figure out for some of these NPCs would be intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Yeah. Like, I would want to know what their intelligence is because I want to know how intelligent they are for making plans, sticking to their plan, following through with their plans, how convoluted their plan may or, may or not be. Wisdom for being able to cite possible threats, you know, for being able to adjust their plan on the fly, you know, just that overall, like, you know, uh, worldliness, you know, that 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 um, that knowledge that doesn't come from a book, you know, that common sense, that streetwise, I have a bad feeling about this guy. Um, and then obviously their charisma, like how, how silver tongued a devil are they? Right. Yeah. And I th- think we talked in the uh, low ability scores episode about characters who have, you know, low, like a low wisdom, high intelligence. How does that play out? And right. some of those other options. Uh, so there's another nice one for review to go back and check out just yeah. to get a little more on uh, building politics. Right. While we're on the subject, I'd actually like if, you know, for doing a political game, you might also want to go listen to our memorable NPCs episode. Yep. Yes. You know, because if you have to make each NPC basically a memorable NPC in that case. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah they're all individuals. They all need to be remembered. If you're, although it's going to be hard for them to all, unless they're sitting there with pen and paper to keep track of everyone's name. But if they all have something unique about them, which is one of the tips we gave in that show, you know, that episode. Something to make them all stand out. This guy talks with Scottish accent. This guy has a scar across his face. This guy walks with a limp. You know, it's things that help make them all stand out so you can kind of keep them all straight in your head. That'll help a lot if you can make them all individual and memorable. Yeah, you definitely you want those sorts of things. But also, and just to sort of retouch on this, each one of them, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the bartender necessarily needs to have one every every town you go in, but one of them should. You know, the blacksmith, not each one of them has to be, you know, oh, well, if you go do this for me, I'll give you a discount. But one of them could, mm-hmm. you know, 
Um, the NPCs we're talking about are the ones that the characters are most likely going to interact with and that they probably need something from. And those NPCs, they're each going to have their own resources and contacts, which I think we touched on, but they're also going to have their own agenda. They're going to have a thing that they need from you or from anyone, but now you're coming asking them for a favor. Well, this is the thing I want, and this is how I can get it. And maybe they don't reveal their actual agenda, but they say, hey, there's uh, these cultists over in this uh, uh, abandoned monastery over there that could be wiped out. If you guys go do that, I'll give you a 10% discount, and you don't realize that really he wants the cultists out of the way because he knows there's more treasure down there that's really well hidden, and but he can't take out the cultists. You know, I mean, you know, it's really basic, but it could be something that's there. Steve, the blacksmith, says he'll give you a discount for wiping out the goblins. Fred, the blacksmith, says he'll give you a discount for running Steve out of business. <laughs> Conflicting agendas. Uh, so we are actually kind of running out of time. We could probably keep going a little bit further on doing political. Um, but it's just as a last uh, moment, we want to make sure that the influence of politics on your game should have meaning. It should have purpose. So when they have to make a decision, when they have to choose a side, when they have to do something, there should be some sort of (sighs) consequences is the way we have it written down. I don't even want to use the cause and effect. Let's go with cause and effect. It is. It's very much a cause and effect because it doesn't always have to be negative. You don't always have to be beating your players down. I think, I don't think the word consequences is, I don't perceive it as a negative connotation, but I understand that a lot of people do think when they hear consequences, they think, oh, that's kind of negative. Right. Um, So every but cause and effect, your players did a thing. They chose a side. Something's going to happen because of that. Right. And you want to make sure that 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 choice has weight. It it matters in game that they chose, you know, to side with this blacksmith shop over the alchemist shop. It matters that they chose not to stop the assassination of the Duke or that they stopped the assassination of the Duke at the last minute. And I I suppose along with cause and effect is follow through. So you so you side. So you're done with the evil queen. You realize, man, I don't want to work for her anymore. So you go and you start working for the Duke. Well, the evil queen's going to know that you started working for the Duke. So what is she going to do? Is she going to send assassins after you? Is she going to make sure that you're sent off on some front line somewhere? Is she going to use her politics or her or whatnot to get you out of the region? Like there's going to be a consequence to that. She's going to try something and she's either going to fail or succeed, depending on what uh, how powerful, really how powerful you want to make her. Politics is power. It's it, there's a lot of power. That comes behind that. And you'll know you've got a good crafty bunch of players when they go back to the queen and say, what are you doing? We were trying to earn his favor so that when you need it, we can yank the carpet out from underneath him. That's the type of response you want. That you know, your players are getting the game. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we are going to wrap it up for here. If you have any uh, fun comments or stories or anything you'd like to share about political games or political encounters and games you've run, feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, Also, if you have any questions or comments or show topics you'd like to hear, drop us a line. Uh, We are on Facebook available to like comment and subscribe. You can 
Check in with us on Twitter. Our handle is GMS Studios. We have our message board at GameMasterStudio.ProBoards.com. And of course, you can sign up to sponsor us for exclusive content and access to our blog on Patreon.com slash GameMasterStudio. We are back each week with new information, new topics, and new ideas for your games. And so we are going to be signing off for now, but we'll see you next time that we're in the studio.